Good evening, everyone, and hope you had a good start to the new year. Uh, my name is Tina, and I'm a first fortnight festival volunteer. Um, thank you for staying for this uh, post screening QA. Um, it lasts about approximately 25 minutes. I have a couple of questions to ask to the panel, after which we'll um, invite you guys to take, take part in it. And as you know, this is the talented filmmaker Olga Stevenson, and next to her is uh, Kira O'Shea, and I'll let her um, introduce herself. My name's Kira O'Shea, I'm a clinical psychologist, a clinician working in mental health services. Uh, thank you. Um, so just to start, and to say that I watched the film a few times and didn't tire of it. There was so much beauty in it, and some of, it, of which was quite haunting as well at times. Um, and I was just then curious about the title to the film, Olya, Horrible Creature. Um, but she had choice, wasn't horrible, was she? Uh, I don't think so. Um, well done to everyone with the coughing situation as well. I think those people coughing on the beat of the music at one point. <laughs> I felt for him. Um, sorry. So with the title, it came from reading, reading, reading Lucia's diaries, and um, and most of the text, most of her writings, is available after the 1950s, even the 1960s, until she died in '82. Um, when I say available, kind of available, um, and. It was in those later years where, not, not consistently, but she described herself in this way, um, referring to herself as a horrible person in comparison to the rest of her family. And that struck me, um, obviously on a personal level as well, sometimes you can have those feelings towards yourself. Um, so it kind of stayed in my mind throughout the process of points. And also, um, Lucia lived through World War One and World War Two. And she was in hosp she was hospitalized in an occupied zone in France during World War Two, and at that time, now I'm not a historian or anything like this, but from my own research, um, there was a Nazi Germany, um, program Life Unworthy of Life, and as far as I know, what they were doing is um, telling psychiatric patients they were moving them to safety, but essentially killing them off, and um, it was at that point Lucia was moved. Around that time, Lucia was moved to England to her hospital where she remained in Northampton for many years until her death. Um, and there was a quote from a Nazi Germany um, minister, I think at the time, which referred to um, people in psychiatric care as creatures who weren't worthy of life. So kind of combined the, the two for the title. Okay. Yeah. It's very dark, um, very sad. Um, can I then maybe ask you, Olya, mm -hmm. um, how did you approach um, directing the dancers um, sort of in relationship to Lucia's um, life journey and also linking to the locations in the film because I think they were meaningful mm -hmm. um, in the choices life. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we had three dancers and did they um, represent Lucia's relationship with others or were there uh, aspects of herself at different times. Mm -hmm. um, I'll start the last bit, that's <laughs> what I remember. Um, <laughs> so, well, I did ask you for the full question at once. Um, 
So the three dancers, there's Sarah Ryan, who's here. She's based in Dublin. Beautiful Sarah, there she is. I worked with Sarah first of all out of everyone in Dublin for a live work sharing in Dance Ireland um, in 2018, what year are we? And um, Sarah kind of roughly represented Lucci in her earlier years, so when she reached Sword she was around eight, so that kind of time period, um, primary school, early dance training. And then Michelle, who's not here, she lives in New York, um, she was with the brown hair. And she represented Lucia in her professional dance years and um, when she went through psychi psychiatric treatment. Um, and then Celine, who you can see towards the end of the film in the hospital scenes, she was a mix of uh, Lucia's friend, who was actually a little bit later, Mrs. Thursby, who she refers to a lot in her writings, who seemed to be a great comfort to her in her later years at a hospital. And also Lucia's dance friend, who she mentions, Helen, Helen Bennell. Um, and uh, Lucia's nurse also, who was kind of working as a second set of eyes for Carl Jung in Zurich and spent quite a lot of time with Lucia, driving her around, taking her to the theatre, um, almost a friend, you know, and um, they were quite close. Um, and then, um, thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, directing. Like, yeah, just... Um, so there was the uh, OTS writing, um, creation of the film script, mm -hmm. the locations, yep. choreographic score, mm -hmm. and then the language score for the dancers. Yep. And it just all came together so beautifully. So just to open up yep. that. So I come from a dance background. I trained, trained in dance originally. And um, the last 10, 12 years, I've worked a lot with language. I'm not a um, naturally good writer. <laughs> But uh, I find it interesting embodying text and working with dancers embodying text. So I was actually working on a choreographic score and then when I was looking for a DLP, um, who was Will Humphreys from the UK, um, I got, kept getting asked for a film script. So I had to Google what a film script looked like and also got some advice right. from friends in Dublin, Gary. Um, and essentially developed the score, made it longer, um, it was a good 36 pages by the end, the whole script, um, which the voiceover doesn't take up that much space really. So the dancers are following extremely detailed language scores, um, which consist of Lucia's writings and other um, bits of research that I was looking into kind of around those writings as well. So for example, there's one scene where they're basically playing out the mechanics of a piano, and that's what the text is. But then it also... Um, they're also uh, performing this kind of vibrational relationship to each other as well, which can come across as a kind of support system between the two dancers. So there's the layer of what the text sounds like to me when I'm writing it, then how the dancers interpret the text and then kind of like moulding that so it works for a scene. And then when I gathered the locations eventually and got them all signed off on, I kind of divided the score into... Um, segments and placed a different score for each location that felt like it might work there. Yes. And the music came into the picture a bit later, so uh, by uh, UK-based Edgeivers, David Best, yep, that's it. they did a great job, so mm -hmm. they didn't um, get involved until later, later no. on, or yeah, they're, did it? 
they were involved from the start, but um, I basically sent them on notes and edited down writings that I thought might um, could be influential for the music. So they worked from those, and also um, there was kind of sound beds created throughout this the film as well, where I asked them to make these sound beds based on different um, parts. Is that right? That relate to different emotions in the bodies in the body. So there was the fear hurts, which is 19, I think, and there was a love hurts. Love hurts. So I wanted to try, as well as kind of translating Lucia's life through the text and the choreographic score, I also wanted to try to in some way physically affect the audience through the, the sound score as well. Um, and also it was a technique, apparently again, back to Nazi Germany, that was used by Hitler to kind of um, disrupt a crowd or control a crowd at uh, speeches. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. um, moving on to Kira. Um, so I was just wondering what thoughts and feelings did the film evoke in, in you as a, and looking through a lens of a mental health yes, care professional yeah. and maybe touching on I think there was quite a bit of trauma possibly in Lucia's early years and then later on in life. So how, how does that affect a person and what, what can it do to you? And well, I find, I've watched the film a few times now and each time I find it really affecting at a visceral level. There isn't a, a kind of a logical, coherent intellectual narrative for most of it. It's, and it, I think that's deliberately affecting at a at a sensory, emotional, um, visceral level, the, the sounds and the textures, um, and, and quite unnerving, um, a beautiful, expansive in, in many parts, and, but then unnerving and confusing and disturbing. And I think that is the feeling you get when you're working with people uh, who've been traumatized and they haven't been able to form a narrative around what's happened to them um, and you're trying to make sense of it um, for the person and I think if traumas happened very early on um, children don't have words and language uh, for, for these kinds of experiences um, and you know the body goes into shock and our fight, flight, freeze, basic survival mechanisms in the brain um, are activated, which, you know, I suppose keeps us alive, but the freeze or kind of dissociation shuts down access to the emotion and, and some of the memories. And um, if there's nobody around you to help you make sense of what's happening or if there's shame or taboo or societal cultural beliefs around events um, whereby you might not even realize it's a trauma um, you know you, you cannot process the experience um, cognitively intellectually in order to explain it to yourself to explain it to other people um, and so the memory is stored in a kind of fragmented way um, sensory emotional elements kind of fragmented and, and, and so the, these can be triggered 
unexpectedly um, where you could be working with someone and they're they're reacting in a way they don't understand and you don't understand but I suppose the first step is to create um, stabilization and safety um, to try and help the person regulate this overwhelming emotion before you can make sense of anything and that to me I suppose is a sad thing with Lucian I mean one of the many sad things but she didn't feel safe in, in these institutions that were supposed to treat her. Um, you know, so, so that, you know, it's affected me that way and it, it yeah. you know, look, luckily our services are, have moved on quite a bit since then. Yeah, um, I, I wonder, yeah. Uh, in terms of release of that trauma or processing and letting go of difficult experiences, what could have helped Lucia and in terms of, um, you know, what's used a lot these days is kind of creative art therapies that would mm -hmm. some sort of, if she would be allowed to express her trauma through movement, through her body, would that sort of thing, would have helped her or, or not? Or, mm. Well, I think when you're working with anyone, you're looking at their idiom of distress, you know, how they uh, communicate and express distress. And um, if movement was how Lucia expressed herself, and so you would, you would want to facilitate that. Um, and I think arts therapies, and there, there is evidence for that. Um, I mean, maybe... You could speak about dance therapy, um, but it, 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 I suppose through sometimes externalizing the feeling into a kind of a, a tangible object, movement or art, you can represent it at a kind of a safe distance and communicate it symbolically. And we heard her talking about dreams, so she had access to symbolically to her distress. Um, and with the therapist then, Feelings can be named without overwhelming someone with the full exposure to the memory. Um, and with a lot of safety and a kind of long-term therapeutic relationship, words can be put on experiences over time and the person can start to explain to themselves what happened and explain to others and explain to family who maybe haven't understood why is the person reacting the way they are um, and ask for what you need and want then because you understand your own distress and your own needs um, I mean I think there's always a personal preference around therapies and we can't presume that, that she would have wanted therapy, believed anything was wrong um, or even wanted to use dance in that way. I mean, I've certainly had the experience of working with artists who don't want that to be part of a, a therapeutic process. It means something else to them. So, um, but I guess you wouldn't be, um, you, you wouldn't be trying to force your language or words on, on Lucci and, and trying to force a logical narrative and um, you'll be trying to um, meet her where she's at and how she's communicating um, and it sounds like she was communicating with the um, it was a friend of the family therapist was it, 
wasn't it? Um, not this particular oh, woman. Okay. There was other people yeah. involved over the, there was yeah. other people involved yeah. over the years, but this particular woman wasn't a friend of the family. Okay. So yeah. Right. Okay. And um, so yeah, what we want is a range of options, but not just the kind of verbally based therapies, but we do want um, creative therapies available to people who want to who can respond in that way. Um, similar in schooling, you know, it's the school system doesn't suit everybody and how they learn and how they can communicate. And, um, exactly. Yes, uh, so hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does indeed. Um, oh yeah, how about then this sort of um, movement or movement therapy or um, would you apply to your own life, say, if you are under stress or going through difficult life situations, mm -hmm. um, would this type of thing help you or? Yeah, um, just to refer back a little bit to the film as well, I, I wasn't really that interested in, with the first film of Medicated Milk it was more about the emotional body um, and how I felt um, that might connect in terms of Lucia's story and kind of going into that, um, there was a lot of scenes of water and emotion and depth. Mm -hmm. And then this one it kind of lifted out a little bit more because my own in my own practice as well I'd be more interested in I suppose it's a type of movement therapy but I'm not trained in movement therapy but just influences from teachers over the years um this idea of present moment awareness um what's my idea we're, we're here <laughs> but, <laughs> here now yeah um and applying that as techniques for the performers as well, rather than just to create a choreography, I didn't want to get stuck in a place of telling, to, telling someone, okay, to the performer, like, you're sad, or you're sad and you're reaching for this bottle, more so, okay, um, can you drop your attention down into your whole body, what if you can notice the space in your body, okay, another layer, what if you can notice the space around your body as you reach for the water and um, what if you stop calling it water and try and change your um, visual frame to not labeling anything that you see just noticing it or seeing it with the whole body so it's just these different layers to kind of get out of the thinking mind get into the body's intelligence and um, free yourself from the chitter chatter that kind of can be a dead end most of the time constant and mm -hmm. um, on that note we hope you have lots of thoughts questions comments so we'll open it up to the to you guys um, so if we can ask you to stick to asking one question at a time and brief comments are also welcome Yeah, yeah. Um, I left that in because it was part of part of it, and I referred to it actually a lot more in the first film. Um, presumably, it was part of Lucie's experience. You heard it in the nurse's notes that it, she says it quite casually, almost you know, um, within her uh, reports, and yeah, who knows exactly what happened. Um, but what kind of struck me about Lucia when I first read about her was my own experiences of um, 
as many people in Ireland and everywhere in the world um, having some kind of relationship to this um, sexual abuse in the family and that very much connected with me in terms of her story and then what's my point yeah I kind for my my own perspective is and it's said quite clearly by her nurse that she would have um, been a victim of sexual abuse, incest, and that's what caused her, part of what caused her mental strain in later years. Um, and also in terms of the doctor's reports, they're so varied. Um, I think I only read one report that referred to schizophrenia, although she's commonly associated with that. And some doctors just said she needed some time away from her family. Um, and some wouldn't sign their name to a definite diagnosis because they felt there was nothing much the matter with her. So, yeah, I hope that answers something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there. Uh, about the choreography, how much um, did you get um, influenced by Margaret Morris and uh, Duncan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did look into them obviously because Lucia trained with those two um, women and there was now and then I included a little bit of um, inspiration from their work in the in the corridor scene in the hospital there was something related to Margaret Myers there but not in terms of like choreography more about her approach to choreography or how she kind of structured dance sequences and but I didn't want to re, just my own personal practice, it wasn't interesting for me to recreate. But I was interested in the fact that Lucia was working with these pioneering modern dancers and it was very new and fresh at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Just interested in how um, the cameraman worked with the dancers, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I'd love to have rehearsed with the, the cameraman, but um, there was no budget for that. <laughs> so, yeah. so this guy, Will Humphreys, I had a few phone conversations with him and um, good vibes all around. And we didn't meet him until we drove out of the Alps, <laughs> picked him up from Geneva Airport and drove him straight to the hospital because his flight had been delayed. So he just jumped right in, basically. And I think we probably shot the same scene maybe three, five times. And he'd, you know, wide angle, he'd get in there. But towards the end, in the field, that was the first thing we shot with him. So he was already very much <coughs> moving around the dancers and collaborating with them. And I didn't, I wanted it to be at points, I suppose, even a little messy in that way, you know, the focus going in and out to kind of reflect what was going on with the score as well. And um, a lot of it was improvised, yeah. I did have some kind of directions for the camera now and then, but when you're on location and there's no rehearsal time with him, like the dancers, you know, you just have to jump in. But he was amazing, he was really great. We even had him dancing around with the camera at one point. <laughs> he became one of us. <laughs> Team. <coughs> Anybody?
Uh, yeah, I take uh, this gentleman here and then back to the lady who asked the question. Yeah. Just an easy question. Um, the script, was it all, you know, that we heard the, the, the narrator's voice, was the narrator reading from Lucia's uh, diary or notes, uh, along with the nurse's notes, or was some of it scripted? Just, just a question. Who's asking? <laughs> <laughs> i got to be careful here. <laughs> I'd say he was inspired by, heavily, heavily, heavily inspired by her writings and the nurse's notes. Um, yeah, but all the facts are there. Yeah, and thanks to Anne Barr, who's here, who performed some of the voiceover, and Rebecca Warner, the both from Dublin. Okay, so, yeah, go ahead. I'm under the impression that all of her notes and letters were burned. Yeah, not all of them are gone. Like, I actually gathered quite a lot of material and travelled around to um, work from them. But they're just scattered everywhere, you know. You contact one university, they might have some letters, and then you get referred back to some lawyer in London who owns them, or, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult to, to access things. Um, her school doesn't have any records, although they did give me those beautiful school books where some of the text is um, from. And yeah, they're scattered. They're scattered around, but a lot of them apparently have been destroyed. Um, and working from them as well, a lot of them are quite monotonous because it's day to day in the hospital. So you really have to have read them a million times, just keep going through and then pulling, especially from that time period, there's really not much from that time. 1950 to 1950. So it was also Joyce's letters to Harriet Weaver, his publisher, his later Lucia's guardian, and family friends, and this kind of thing from the earlier years. One more, and then we need to wrap up. Yeah, go ahead. Then. I'm just wondering, did she have any times when she was more lucid, or was her whole life traumatized? Because when she was in Northampton, uh, the idea probably is that she didn't have to stay there, that she got relatively I don't know what better is, mm -hmm. but she could have moved out, but there was nowhere to go. And I'm, it always amazes me that her brother, Georgia, never came near her. Uh, there may be reasons for that, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But apparently, he had no contact with her at all. So, um, um, you know, yeah, was there a time? In, in letters um, from family friends, um, like a lot of the time, Lucia has been referred to as the kind of nice, open, friendly, sensible one in the family, you know? No one actually that I can think of referred to her as crazy at any point. And these were written from people who knew her when she was younger, after she passed away. You know, it's, there's a lot of time there. So in terms of being um, lucid, as you said, it's just really at that period, you know, lots of people would be put away. Exactly, yeah. Absolutely yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing, well, not, you know, yeah. trumped up ideas. So, and I, I was just, it always kind of bothered me that they said she could have come out, but there was... Yeah, well, who knows if she ever should have gone in, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't have yeah. thought so. And yeah. um, and this is the family situation with the Joyce's that's also misunderstood. Like, why was she silenced? Why was she put away? Why was she left away? And in terms of Georgia making contact, um, she does say he rings her up the odd Christmas, but for the most part, it's, I haven't heard anything, I haven't heard anything. You know, she's kind of repeating this. Um, but always in a very caring, 
manner, hoping he's okay and that he's well, and you know, she's um, writing to a friend or a family friend. So, yeah, does that answer? No answer really, we don't know. Mm -hmm. but, you know mm -hmm. Okay, maybe, do we have time for maybe one more then, there, then we have a gentleman there in the back. Getting back to the nurse's notes, mm -hmm. was they, were they just fine away, or did the hierarchy or whoever it was in the treatment area of the hospital not develop that further? Sorry, I don't understand. I'm also a bit silly at this point. If the nurse implied incest, yeah. just to leave it like that, mm -hmm. right, to say she could have a bad foot or something, or did it get lost in the clinical attention? I'm, I'm imagining, sorry to say that, but you know, she said it so casually, it's something that possibly they'd been working on with Lucia previous to that. It was known between them already, but I'd be guessing those notes wouldn't be available or um, they're gone at this point. So that's the only reference I can find, but because she says it in that manner, you'd assume this is part of her treatment, you know, the whole incest situation, you know, it's there. I think uh, Lucia's story is set to continue. I think you're planning a, a th third film, yeah. so... That's what that I could do. With that. Um, so that we just need to clear the cinema for the next screening. So thanks again for your time this evening and uh, have a good evening and safe home. Thank you.